the Buck Off Podcast with Lane Grant. Hosted by Christopher Rennie and joined by Jordan Williams. Welcome to everybody. This is your host, Christopher Rennie, bringing another episode of the Land Grant Holy Land uh, Buck Off Podcast with Land Grant Holy Land. Already off to a start. I was just getting so excited uh, because it's it's not it's not every other episode. This is a big episode for everybody. And I'm here with Jordan Williams to bring it to you. Uh, how are you doing today, Jordan? Man, I'm great. Off work. Uh, we're recording on Wednesday, so Thanksgiving's tomorrow. Uh, and it's rivalry week. I mean... Just, just doing wonderful. Yeah, it's rivalry week. You know, it's the X's are up all over Columbus. It is, it is. Uh, you could feel it. You could just feel it in the air whenever you step outside. You know, I don't always receive a lot of texts from people, but I can see the nerves this game's created. Uh, and for those of you who have been living under a rock, this game is the Ohio State versus Michigan game. It's an AP top five matchup. Uh, it's a college football playoff top five matchup. And historically, there's only been, what, 13 of those, I think the stat said. Uh, so it, it doesn't happen every year. Uh, there are a tons of big Ohio State Michigan games, but there are very few built like this. So, you know, what? it does feel a little different in the air. And there is one big albatross with it as well. Uh, Ohio State is not coming off a win for the first time in almost a, in over a decade. So... Where are we at, Jordan? How are you feeling? What are your initial feelings heading into Saturday? Uh, what what is the what's what's it like living this week for you? Yeah, well, I mean, I just wrote an article um, site, a uh, slight, um, you know, boosting my own stuff, I guess, about how um, this is the biggest Ohio State Michigan game of my lifetime, and therefore your lifetime, and anyone under the age of like. 27 maybe up to 30 yeah. because I'd say 30 yeah, safe number for that yeah 2006 happened but i was 11 in 2006 i hadn't even started playing football yet um or maybe i had how old are you in seventh grade I don't think you're 11. Um, I don't know. Regardless, I didn't start playing football till seventh grade. I didn't get a real understanding of it until high school. Um, my, you know, so it's like, even if you remember it, you don't really remember. Like, you don't really remember 11. And when you do, it's fleeting moments. So there may be someone that was 11 that really, really remembers this game, but I highly doubt it. And so, um, I was writing the article and I was doing some research and I was just like, the parallels of 2006 are crazy. Um, Ohio, this is the, the last time um, Ohio State and Michigan were both undefeated when they played each other, 2006. It's an AP top three matchup. Uh, 2006 was one and two. This is two and three. Um, first time since 2006. The last time an Ohio State quarterback won the Heisman was 2006. Um and Ohio State won that game and then had to go play the SEC juggernaut, which is also most likely going to happen this year in Georgia. So the parallels of 2006 are crazy. And just like you hear that game a lot and you can reference it. We all know Troy Smith. We all know, you know, some of that kind of stuff. We all know Urban Meyer was at Florida and all that other kind of stuff. But this is the first one where like, you know, people aren't telling me stories about it, right? Like, I'm not reading articles from people that remember. I don't need anyone to hype this game for me. And that's one of the things I put in the articles. Like, 
I remember the board on third base, right? I remember Aiden Hutchinson. I remember the Heisman comments. I remember like all of these things, the buildup. I watched all the games, the Ohio State and the Michigan separately. And, you know, so it's kind of crazy living in this because as a 27 year old, this is the biggest game of my lifetime. It is the biggest stakes. Everything's on the line. And not just the stakes of winning the Big Ten and not just the stakes of a potential national championship, but that's a huge stake because arguably, especially in the playoff era, this is the most open the race to a national championship has been. There's not one singular dominant team in the sport. Georgia for the people who are going to say Georgia, they just scored 17 points against Kentucky and they allowed 22 points uh, against uh, Kent State. One of my friends literally bet me money that if Ohio State plays Georgia, Georgia can hold them under 17 points. And God himself couldn't hold Ohio State under 17 points. So there's, you know, you have the national championship race because that is open and I think both of these teams can win it. But then also you just have the pressure of like CJ Stroud is arguably the best quarterback in Ohio State history. He's not going to get that designation if he's 0-2 against Michigan, right? Ryan Day is a very good coach. If he falls to 1-2, do we start calling for his head? Like, So, I probably it's kind of crazy. Play. People probably do. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. There's a lot going on. And so, uh, living this week and the stakes and everything that's going on is um, it's fun, but it's like nerve wracking. And it's just like finding myself in like a constant state of agitation where like I'm listening to these podcasts and it's all everyone's talking about because it is genuinely the biggest game in the country. And I'm just like, you're an idiot. And that's not right. You didn't watch this game. What are we talking about? And so, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's kind of crazy. Yeah, I'll be honest. I usually am one of those types of people for, like, research purposes, for, like, looking into, like, just learning about the teams in college football. I'm, I'm the type of person who likes to digest a lot of college football content. And this week I've really shifted my focus, you know, because I'm creating enough anxiety in my own head. Like, man, this is a huge game. This is one of the biggest games in Ohio State history. Like, I don't think I – like like you said, I don't think there's ever been a game of this magnitude where I'm so alive and conscious for the stakes of what's about to happen. Like it's crazy. It's something where I've got myself getting those like heartbeats. You know, I've got the freaking Ohio state fight song stuck in my head. Like it's just, it's just one of those things where the passion is just so unnerving. I, I think, you know, rivalry week brings that out of everybody, but there's not another, two versus three matchup there isn't in the country this week there's not most of these in-state rivalries or border rivalries aren't that level of football you know it, it's seeing those guys celebrate last year sitting with you all year there's like a huge weight on the shoulders of every ohio state fan like mostly the players mostly the coaches but ohio state fans feel that weight as well so it, it's definitely something where rather than continuing to get worked up, I've had to like limit myself the intake I'm giving, giving to college football content this week, because I could lose a whole day just getting into arguments and like talking and doing all that stuff. So it's one of those things. I'm just going to let it play out on the field. We're going to see what happens and win or lose. I'm going to take my shots after. So, and I I don't think it's going to be the second one. So no need to worry about that. Uh, But yeah, I I don't know, man, it's going to be, it's, you don't, you don't get games like this often. Like even last year it was a three, six game. It didn't feel the same. Everyone kind of had that expectation. 
you know, Ohio State struggled early. They kind of corrected some mistakes and they got ran over. Now the stakes are even higher because guess what? Ryan Day wagered the future of his career on a defensive coordinator. So far, the returns have been incredible, right? Doesn't matter. That's not a defensive coordinator. That's a defensive god. Yeah, and it doesn't matter. None of the first 11 games matter now. If Jim Knowles comes up short against Michigan, waste of $2 million. Doesn't matter. Uh, You know, if the offensive line doesn't come up big, firing Coach Jura, it still matters because we don't like him. He must not be named. But – the, the slip up there, I'm just going to just chalk that up to nerves for the week. Yeah, can't be, it's can't a slip up, but name on this podcast. It's, it's just one of those one of those things. Like, it makes you really introspective about the year so far, which Ohio State team is going to show up, you know. And then you really look at the schedule. Ohio State hasn't been in a single-digit game all year. Like, it's crazy yeah. when you think about it. And... That's where I, I think a lot of people shift their focus to. Like, Ohio State's been a really great football team. And then you look at the other side, Michigan statistically has been a great football team, and that's what it's all about. But the reason we're fans is because we know our team is better. And that's the reason you root for teams in the game. Yeah, I, I think it's like – and for me it's really hard, right, because – we do a podcast, and especially for me, because I do a Big Ten podcast, you know, I, I imagine that it's mainly Ohio State fans that listen to my Big Ten podcast, right? Like, you know, I don't know that people in other states and stuff have really found that, although there may be some. But it's really hard because, like, it's a Big Ten podcast, so I'm trying to be, you know, as non-biased yeah. as possible. And so it's really hard because, like, I have these thoughts, and it's like, I watch both of them, but are these thoughts because I'm Ohio State fan or is this like my genuine just kind of football intelligence like this is how I feel about something because I watched it Um, and that is really important on here too because coming on this show like you know yeah we could just yell and scream and say all these kind of things we'll probably get into that a little bit but it's like you also want to I don't want to say it's an obligation, but I, I think it's kind of like a duty to to provide the best content, right? Like, it's not just our opinions. I actually try to, like, yeah. break it down. And so that's been another thing, especially, again, listening to these podcasts, because I'm like, okay, so is this person's opinion right and I was wrong? Do they not know what they're talking about? Do I not know what I'm talking about? Like, why is our opinion so different? Are we watching the same thing? Just, like, it's just uh, a lot of kind of, like, thinking and back and forth and really trying to be measured in the expectations because a part of me just feels like Ohio State's going to blow the doors off them again. And I could make that argument, but I also know what happened last time. And I know what, you know, Michigan as a team is and how they can kind of do some things. And so it's kind of like a a really crazy balance living in this kind of this time and this week. And uh, finally being a real rivalry and not kind of a, a speed bump or a joke. Yeah, like. You know, growing up, it was like one of those things you were nervous about, right? But at the end of the day, you're like, man, you know, they've been pretty dominant. I think they're going to find a way to do it. And, like, even to the very, like, bitter end of last year, you just felt that, like, it's not over yet. It's not over yet. And then that clock finally hit zero, and you're like, oh, God, like, this ended. And I know for a fact, I read a great article by Cleveland.com. Nathan Beard wrote it. Uh, If you guys haven't seen it, I'm pretty sure everyone who follows Ohio State or – has seen at least it tweeted out. 
But he went into all the like he asked the parents about how their kids reacted and he asked all these parents about how they've been responding throughout the year. And I, I think it was just an interesting perspective because the parents aren't there every day, but they're the ones who see the response. They're the ones who see the reactions of the of the players and just hearing like the disappointment they felt, the lack of like chance they felt defensively to make those adjustments. Now you fix that issue. The Jim Knowles effect is real. And I think a lot of people are just nervous because, you know, we're, it's a, it's an uncomfortable place to be for people our age, like losing to that team up North. And it's, it's an impassioned thing. Like, I don't know how other people like describe it, but I, it just doesn't feel like the world is in a balance to me when I know the last time we played, whatever I have to look at that series record and seeing blue as the most recent one, it like honestly drops my stomach. And, and you know, like you said, we try to remain impartial. We try to treat opponents with respect and all that stuff. It's hard to do it this week because growing up in this rivalry and we work for a fan site. So there's that aspect of it as well. So we're still allowed to have those feelings, but it really takes a lot to not just go in and say like, man, Ohio state's got these receivers. These running backs are going to beat them by 50 points. It really does. Yeah, um, for sure. And I think like, it just kind of takes me back to last year where like people were trying to like, talked crap about us because the instant recap and I just remember one comment that was like oh this guy sounds like he's about to cry and I was like um yeah I was very emotional about that loss and that is what college football does to you that's what rivalries do to you and that is why uh college football is different than any other sport which is also an article I just wrote trying some new things so not not my my regular format but yeah it's just like so yeah it's just like you know the feeling and the emotion that comes with these games uh, is entirely yeah. different, and so that's another thing. It's like I'm like I'm like honestly I'm low key dreading the instant recap because if we lose, I'm gonna have to go on there again and like try to make sense of it immediately after the game. And yeah. that's not. I don't even want to put that out. There. <laughs> I'm not thinking about that. <laughs> It's tough. It really is. Um, it's something we signed up for. It is. It's hard. It's hard to articulate those emotions in the moment. And I'll say that's one thing we try to do here is like we don't let our emotions hide on this show. When something bothers us, we talk about it. When something excites us, we talk about it. When we think something is a crazy take, we call it out. When we think something needs to be talked about more, we talk about it. And this game, like – we're just going to keep going. We're going to use our emotions to get through this show. And hopefully you guys enjoy that. Yeah. Um, you all listened to me rant about zone runs versus power runs. Uh, and I was very passionate about that. Like this is, you know, a, uh, a very a, much an emotion. A, a passion uh, driven know, podcast. Passion. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's a, a great way to put it. So, and there's nothing more passionate than this than rivalries in general. Yeah. But I would also say than this rivalry. I mean, it's called the game. There's 130 teams. Uh, there's team. I mean, teams like Iowa have a million rivalries. Michigan themselves have two. There's all these rivalries, all these things going on, all of these cool, you know, titles trophies. and things like that, and trophies. Titles, and yeah. There's only one that's called 
the game. The game. And it's called the game for a reason. And I wish I could find this stat that I looked up. But literally, there's a stat that I saw that Ohio State, Michigan is first in like all these categories. The most top five ranked, the most top 10 ranked, the most top 25 ranked uh, uh, rivalry games, the most like just like the comp, like this game itself has had throughout history more stakes than any other game you know almost every year except for rare ones almost every year this is a ranked matchup and uh, more times than not a lot of times it's a top 10 matchup it's not always a top five matchup that's hard right but so it was i saw it somewhere and i wish i should have saved it so i could say it exactly but yeah ohio state was number one ohio state the game was number one and top five matchups top 10 matchups top 25 matchups and a couple other things as far as like going into this game uh it is very very special um and again this one it's it's always special but this one is for all the marbles this one has so much tied to it it's really special, and I'll be honest. Yeah. I, I've seen. I like. I hate when people throw out other rivalries. You know, the only one I'll entertain a conversation about is Army Navy. But I'll be honest, that one is one of the theatrical games. You know, it's important for other reasons. It's not important because of specifically college football. Ohio State is definitively the greatest college football rivalry in the sport. Like, I don't want to see Iron Bowl. I don't want to see uh, USC Notre Dame. I don't want to see these national rivalries. Doesn't matter. Absolutely. And one of the interesting things about it is these two programs are far and away the two best programs in the Midwest. Like it is not even close. I don't want to hear about Notre Dame. I understand. But historically, they have the most national championships. They're one like I I pulled it up. I'm actually gonna pull this one up because I thought it was interesting. I used this for my story. Um they are like number one and two or like top five in so many categories throughout history. Um, it's kind of like there's just there's literally nothing like this game. Yeah, uh, it, it is as simply as that. There's nothing like this game. Um, college football is great everywhere, but uh, this one is is special. Yeah, I mean, I've got. I've got a crazy family story I'll save to the end but it's about the game and it just shows the level of magnitude of this game and it'll be my final thought for the show so make sure you you stay the whole time I hope you guys enjoy this you know I wish we'd get it out Thursday so people could listen to it on Thanksgiving with their families because I'll be honest I do my best to not swear on this show there's going to be a swear word or two at the end yeah absolutely so I did pull this up really really quickly so Um, Ohio State is first in all-time record, like percentage-wise. Michigan is third. Michigan is first wins all-time. Ohio State is second. Ohio State is sixth in national championships. Michigan is second. Um, Michigan is third in conference championships all-time. Ohio State is fourth. Um, Ohio State is first in Heisman, second in consensus All-American, first in NFL draft picks, AP poll, all of this kind of stuff. Michigan is third in All-American, sixth in Heisman winners, fifth in NFL draft picks, seventh in first. Like these two teams are uh, like essentially top ten in everything. Ohio State is literally this is on Wednesday. Ohio State's literally top six in every single category they're talking about, except their bowl record. And Michigan is top 12 in everything except their bowl record. Like, yeah. these teams historically... Bowen didn't care about bowl games. 
Yeah, like these teams, and then with Ohio State, you have some national championships. Like the those count as bowl records, I imagine. So you get some losses there as well. So it's yep. just like <clears throat> these teams are historically the two best programs in the Midwest, and two of the most storied programs ever. And you, and then you just add in a rivalry, and it's takes it to a different level. Yeah, it's it's insane. Like we don't need to go through the whole hype video. You're gonna see plenty of those on Friday. Like it's different. It's incredibly different. It's not. It's personal for a lot of reasons. Uh, all right, so let's get to the tail of the tape. I think we got a nice emotional start. You know, that's how they used to always say, "Start your essay." Start your essay. It's a bit emotional. We did that. Let's get into it. All right, let's get into some resumes. I've got some efficiency ratings. I've got some key wins. Uh, we want to start with the enemy first. Or we want to start with the home team. Um, let's start. Let's get us out of the way because most of the people know this, and then yeah, we can focus so, a little bit more on that. We got Ohio State FEI second. That's the Fermo efficiency rating. Fifth and off or fifth in defense, second in offense. Uh, pace adjusted. You know how they are. SP plus Ohio State second. Offense 44, S&P plus rating. That's good for fourth. Defense, their 10th. And then stop rate, their second. Their key wins this year, we all know them. Notre Dame at Penn State versus Iowa scoring 50 points against that defense. Uh, I didn't get the average margin of victory at home, but Ohio State's won at home by a more significant margin than they have on the road, which I think is very obvious and usually true. Uh, But overall, I think it is a really – uh, I, it's like not a stout resume. It, it's it's one of the best in the country, obviously. Look at those efficiency rankings. Nothing should surprise any of you if you've been following this team uh, at all. You know, we've got some statistics here as well. Uh, Iowa State's first in points per game, first in points per play, first in yards per play, 15th and third down conversion, fifth and fourth down conversions, and they're number two in red zone scoring. So offensively, they're a juggernaut. Uh, defensively, guess what? Top 10 in most of those categories as well. So I think that's where you'll see the separation is Ohio State's offensive explosiveness, Michigan cannot match. And that takes me to the Michigan Wolverines. FEI, they're third, but they're eighth and ninth defensively and offensively. So, you know, they don't have that same high-end ranking on either of them, but they are significantly better than the teams in front of them in those metrics at both. SP plus their third offense, their 28th defense are fourth. So they're ahead of Ohio state there. And then their first in stop rate. We all know why the only difference here is Ohio state didn't play Colorado, Yukon. And who's the other one? I can't, I can't remember off the top of my head. Colorado state, Hawaii. Yep. So they got three advantages there in terms of dominating in that rate. But, yeah, I mean, they're, they're a solid solid ranking. You know, they're good there in the efficiency stuff. Key wins versus Penn State versus Illinois. And then on the road, they beat Iowa, two touchdowns, Indiana, one-point game into the fourth quarter. Uh, Rutgers, Rutgers was winning at halftime. So I, I just want everyone to take that in for a second. Michigan's only played three road games so far. This is uncomfortable territory for them, and they've struggled in all three. Yeah, yeah, that's um, the the Big Ten schedule has been weird because Ohio State's only played. Maybe we played four, and we're gonna we like played, yeah, we played our four already. 
Yeah, like eight home games is nuts. Like the Big Ten definitely looked out for that. Um, but that's one of the things that hurt Michigan because Michigan's supposed to have a home and home with UCLA this year and they canceled it. And sure, that doesn't matter now because they're coming to the Big Ten in a couple of years, but that would have helped their schedule a lot. But they it also could have led to a win. So uh, a loss, it also could have led to a loss. So you never know. Uh, it doesn't matter now. They didn't do it. They, they played a bunch of scrubs. But yeah, I mean... Iowa on the road. Iowa's Iowa, but with their offense this year, as you were kind of saying before we started, that's not a major, major test. And then Indiana and Rutgers is a joke. So it's just like you can't yeah. really take too much away from that. Um, and we'll get into more details, but that's the biggest thing I have with Michigan is like they haven't, they just haven't been tested at all. And so to have, you know, a certain amount of faith and belief in something with who they, and I understand you, you play 11 games, you kind of have to take some stuff away from it. You can't make things up. You, you can only talk about the games that happen, but I mean, and five of their seven games, they had Indiana, Rutgers, Hawaii, Colorado State, and U- UConn, was it? Or who's yeah. the UConn, uh, yeah. That's a joke. Like, that's literally a joke. And there's probably a couple other bad ones, but at least those ones for sure. Like, that's an absolute joke. Like, did yeah, they play Northwestern, too? No, they didn't. But, yeah, like, they, did. they had, a they had Nebraska. They had Nebraska. They had Nebraska. Was- so half of their yeah. games are just, like, a joke. So Yeah, and, you know, it's they have the same foes in the Big Ten East. And this was something that bothered me throughout the season was the picking and choosing. I, they would use Penn State as an argument, the national media would, for, like, Michigan strength, and they would completely ignore where the game was played. Like, oh, it took Ohio State till the fourth quarter to find anything against Penn State. It's like, yeah, you know what? Playing on the road's a little tougher than playing in the comfort of your own home. Like, yeah, also, like, I mean, I, you can only I take beat, Ohio State beat Iowa by, what, 45 points? Guess what? They yeah. were at home. Michigan had to go to Kinnick Stadium. <laughs> it changes things up. And that's hilarious that, like, Iowa – like, I understand, like, not bringing up Rutgers comparison, but – Everyone forgets that Iowa was a common opponent as well when they talk about the common opponent thing. And it's like the the game was right there. And especially when you're talking about the defense going against Iowa's defense and what you were able to do um, and things like that. But, you know, the national media has a narrative to push in. They don't know ball. So, hey, hey, national media, I think that we have them right where we want them to. You know, Iowa State's better when they're counted out. Mm-hmm. So absolutely. All right, uh, let's look at Michigan stats here. Uh, opponents' points per game, their first. Uh, opponents' yards per game, their first. Opponents' points per play, their first. Opponents' yards per play, their first. So, if you really want to take this into consideration, the number one yards per play and points per play offense is playing the number one yards per play and points per play defense. You cannot get a better football game than that. Period. Anywhere. Mm-hmm. That's I mean, and then, yeah, I don't even know like how to put that into like a real perspective. I don't know how many times that's actually happened. I'd probably say very rarely, like if ever. Yeah, I mean, like outside of potentially national championship games, like in the regular season, that probably rarely happens. All right, um, offensively is where I think Ohio State separates. Uh, Michigan is. 
21st in yards per play, fifth in points per play, which that's an efficiency adjusted stat. So they do move slower, but they still convert at a pretty solid basis on turning drives into points. The issue, and we've talked about this a lot off the air in the Slack channel, uh, you know, just chatting back and forth, like Michigan really struggles in the red zone. Like, yes, they come away scoring 93% of the time, but they do not score a lot of touchdowns once they get down there. And I don't have that percentage offhand, but I know it's not nearly as good as Ohio State in converting touchdowns. I saw it on Twitter. I did not – I forgot to save it, but uh, I think it was one of those stat websites said, like, Ohio State has converted touchdowns in, like, like 88% of their red zone trips, and Michigan's done it at, like, a 60% clip. Yeah, um, and that's that's not even a this year thing. That's a Jim Harbaugh thing. Jim Harbaugh is the, you know, quote unquote, play football the right way, you know, no analytics, three yards in a cloud of dust kind of thing sometimes. And so when they get down there, if it doesn't work, they're going to kick a field goal. Um, they're going to take the points. But Ohio State's not a team you can beat with field goals. Yeah, absolutely not. And Jim Knowles has been an incredible coach. Like, at this specifically, this situation, it's something he always highlights. It's something he says you have to be great at. And if you escape, like, I, I think Ohio State's red zone defense is a little skewed. Uh, yeah, they're 115th in the country and they give up a 90% rate, but people just haven't missed field goals on them this year. And teams rarely ever get to the red zone. I think they've given up like 36 red zone trips on the year. And half of them have been field goals. Yeah, that's the thing. I was looking at that, and that was really interesting because it's like compared to all the teams around them, I think we did this on one of the podcasts, like Ohio State was in an area, but they had given up like significantly less red zone trips than anyone else. Like when they get down there, they're scoring, you know, field goals or touchdowns because it's all it is is if you're scoring field goals or touchdowns. Um not versus just not getting any points at all, which most people are going to be pretty effective when they get down to the red zone, at least as, as long as you're counting field goals. Um, but they had significantly less red zone trips allowed than all the other teams around them. Yeah, it's insane when you think. I And I think that's sometimes like a lot of things perspectives miss. Like I remember when you brought up, like a lot of the media members saying, like, man, Northwestern outgained Ohio State and it ended up being by like two total yards. And it's yeah. like, yeah, not really. That's not outgaining. That's not. And it's like, yes, Ohio State gives up points in the red zone, but you got to get there and you got to earn it every time you get there. Yeah. And it's like and like some of those trips, like, you know, one of those attempts that was a touchdown. It took Penn State like seven plays to get a touchdown. Yeah, they did from the penalty. They did. I think it was two penalties, and it took them seven play. Like you know what I mean? Like it's even still with that, it's not easy. Like it's not like they're just getting down there and like giving it up. And so that is something that has to be considered too, especially when you're playing someone that is maybe not as aggressive down there and is going to settle. And I'm gonna tip. I'm gonna tip my hand here. But the thing that I I realize that people who talk about this game are missing the most is they are not understanding the difference in Ohio State's defense because they're really not. Uh, you know, they're really just not like watching or able to understand the defense. So I have it pulled up really quickly. Ohio State right now is 118th. Um, and red zone defense. Uh, they have, there's, they've 
defended um, 22 attempts. They defended 22 attempts. They forced seven field goals, and there are 13 touchdowns. And then there's two where they didn't score. So um, almost half, no, not not almost half, seven out of 20, uh, you know, people aren't getting touchdowns. Regardless, the point that I'm getting at, they're at 22. Here are the, I'm going to go to the number, the, the top 10. So remember this really quickly, bad podcasting. They're at 22 red zone trips allowed. The number one team in the country um, at red zone defense is Georgia. Georgia has 24 trips allowed. That is really, really good. Everyone after Georgia in the top 10, very quickly, 44 attempts, 33 attempts, 43 attempts, 34 attempts, 40 attempts, 37, 37, 44, and 33. That is significantly less than 22. It's more, significantly more than 22. And doing a quick, like you know perusing just really quick scrolling i haven't found a team so far that has allowed less than 22 there are other that that have 22 i've seen two team two other teams with 22 but i haven't seen anyone with less so that is important, and that is why when you look at statistics, you have to look at everything, because if you just say the percentage, it's like, oh, my God, Ohio State has a terrible red zone defense, and then you really look at it, and it's like, sure, you would like if they didn't. Yeah, I just went through all 131 teams. There's two other teams with 22. Um, nobody else has less. No one has less than 22. So it's like when you look at the whole picture, it's like you get down there, they get a touchdown, they get a field goal, it kind of happens, but they don't get down there. 22 red zone trips and 11 games is two red zone trips a game where most teams are av- are in the 40s. They're averaging four, allowing four red zone trips a game. Three or four is what most teams are allowing. Yeah, and that, that just goes to show, like, it's like that's how easily some stats can be skewed. And that's why a stat like stop rate's important because that really takes into consideration all the drives. And Ohio State's second in that. And – I can tell you, even though that I'd say Arkansas State's comparable with Hawaii, Colorado State, and UConn, uh, Arkansas State's offensive efficiency is much better. So uh, it's really not that comparable. Toledo's offense is significantly better than those teams' offenses. So even in that case, when you talk about long-term defense and even using the worst games of comparison, Ohio State's still been really solid. So at stopping defense offenses and common opponents, you know, Michigan gave up more points to Iowa. Michigan held Penn State to less. Like it, it's a back and forth. It's not really something you can fully take any really credence into. But the real difference is, and this is kind of a wind rounding road to get here. Uh, Ohio State's defense was ranked in the 40s in total defense last year. They were ranked in the 50s in yards per play last year. Like, they were not a good defense. And this year, they're ranked in the top 10 in everything. The only thing that's changed in this game, not Ohio State's offense, not Michigan's offense. Michigan's defense lost Aiden Hutchinson, and David Ajabo and Daxon Hill. That changed. But the main change is Ohio State's defense is a top 10 defense. And that is a, that is a significant change. Yeah, I don't think people realize, like, talent put them in the top 40. Execution and scheme did not. If they had yeah. to play real team, like if they played good teams every week, they would have 
if like if they weren't more talented in teams every week, that defense would be. And I know that's kind of like a big what about isn't there, but I think you guys kind of get what I'm saying. Like every yeah. time they played a good um, team, they got they got whooped on. Facts. Ohio State is 15th in the country in rushing defense. People at average three yards per carry on them. We've allowed seven rushing touchdowns all season, and teams average 107 yards. That's good. That's good. good. Like uh, you're uh, you're averaging 107 yards. Like that's what you're allowing. That's that's good. Um, Yeah, and that doesn't take into account garbage time. If we just got rid of Braylon Allen's long run, you'd probably take that under 100. Absolutely. You take that under 100 um, or very, very close to it. Um, and you get rid of a touchdown. So it's just kind of like things kind of ha- things just happen. You know what I mean? So um, this team is much, much better. Um I want to see while we're kind of talking if I can find last year's stats to see where we were at last year in run, rushing defense. But it's kind of just like, and that's why I say, you know, people, the the biggest thing that people are ignoring is the change in Ohio State's defense. A lot of people are viewing this game from the lens of last year, but you can't view the game from the lens of last year when you think about the difference and that being the biggest difference. It is not the same team um, because the entire coaching staff is different. The players are different. Um, they are coached better. And that is something that I don't think people are fully considering when um, talking about this game. Yeah, I'm trying to get to the defensive team stats real quick. Um yeah, and uh, you know, while we're doing that, I just say I think that that is the arguably the most important change, right? Like, because the, like we we talk a lot about toughness um, and all of these kind of things, and that is totally fine, and I obviously understand where that stuff is coming from, but a lot of that was on the defense, and so. With that, understanding that, it's important to understand when your biggest weakness is no longer weakness anymore. Yeah, without a doubt, honestly. It's one of those things. All right, I've got the yards per play stat. I think that'll be quite a opponent's yards per play, I should say. And Ohio State ranked 35th. And wait, hold on. I got it right here on the board in this year. They are fifth. And 30 spots is significant. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. So, yeah, without that, like, I I mean, we already talked about it. 13th AP top five matchup. Last year was Michigan's first win since 2011. Their last win in Columbus was in 2000. So, there's a lot going into this game. Uh, Good. Get into a little bit of a Michigan report. I don't have anything necessarily specific I want to get into. Um, I think the first place you got to start Blake Corum's injury and Donovan Edwards' health. We saw Stokes. What, what's his name? CJ Stokes. Yep. We saw him in the game. It, not dynamic compared to these two guys. And if these two guys aren't up to full speed or playing at full health, I don't know if their talented offensive line if their run game can be enough to really challenge Tommy Eichenberg, Steel Chambers, and the safeties. 
I I don't think that they are. Um, this game is going to be won or lost on Blake Quorum Heroics. I am just going to say straight up, if they don't have Blake Quorum, Michigan does not have a chance to win this game. Yeah, he is it's- far and away their best player. He's far and away their most important player. You could almost liken him to um, Kenneth Walker from Michigan State last year because as as good as Michigan's offensive line is, and it is very good, a lot of times with Blake Corum, he's, it's, he's turning it's- three-yard runs into 15, and he's doing that on his own because, the yeah. you know, there's adjusted line average and all this other kind of stuff. He's turn, like he's turning this into big plays. He's making it where all of their drives aren't 12 plays in eight minutes because he can break off a 50-yarder whenever he wants to and things like that. And if they don't have them, I just don't think they have a shot in this game because even with Donovan Edwards, he's a very talented running back, but he is not a workhorse. You're not going to yeah. be able to give him those 28 carries. And one thing I'll say about Blake Gorham is he just has – he's one of those backs who has an innate feel for hitting cutback lanes. You know, when a play's broken, just, you know, like having the patience to stay with the blocks until something opens up and finding that crease. You know, like Donovan Edwards is explosive. He's a very talented football player. But the experience Blake Corum has in this offense, the experience he has running behind an offensive line in the scheme really opens up this ability to not only trust his blockers but understand his escape routes when – say something doesn't work out as planned. And that's not something you could replace in a run game at all. Like we've seen it this year. Like the reason Mayan and Travion are struggling so much is because they've been battling injuries and they don't have that explosiveness or that wiggle to make those cuts and have that feel. And, you know, when we saw Dallin Hayden and he doesn't have that wiggle to do what Blake Corum does. The reason he was so successful is because he just stuck play side and ran the ball through the right gaps and, Made plays. Blake Corum is the type of running back, and there's a few of these guys every year in college football who, where when the play's not there, they know where to go. And that's not something you could teach. That's not something you could replace. And to be honest, they're being quiet about Donovan Edwards' injury. They're being quiet about Blake Corum's injury. And that's because I think they're more serious than, you know, I, like, I haven't seen a player react the way Blake Corum did to a knee injury and not have something significantly wrong. Yeah, um, and I think the one thing that's uh, kind of interesting, uh, just different different minds and coaches, right? Uh, Jim Harbaugh was asked, and he said if they don't practice, they don't play. Uh, Ryan Day was asked something similar about his running backs, and he said 11 games into the season, you know what they, you know what they can do, and you trust them, basically, so they – they have to be able to practice, but they may take some reps off, some this, some that to heal up, and you trust that they can do it in a game. So Ryan Day is willing to play his guys without practicing um, so they can heal up, where uh, Jim Harbaugh, while he won't confirm or deny an injury, say what it is or it is, he has set the expectation. Now, if he lives up to it, we'll never know, but he has set the expectation that, that if those guys can't practice, they won't play, and that speeds up their timeline because they it's no longer be healthy on Saturday. It's be healthy today. It's be healthy well, today's Wednesday. Pro- they'll probably practice on Thanksgiving, be healthy in the morning for a walkthrough on Thanksgiving, be healthy on Friday. Uh, but especially that Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, which is already passed, but those days, it's like being healthy then. If those you the set an expectation days, yeah. of, of they need to practice to play. Um, 
Again, who knows if he actually lived up to that. But be like, what is being able to practice? Like, you go out, you work on a bike, you technically practice, you know. That's that's what it sounded like for Ryan Day. That's not what I got from Jim Harbaugh. But yeah. you know, I'm not in their practice. It's just a different standard, and yeah, that is also going to affect it. It's one of those things like Ohio State. Like you felt confident they could win this game, even if Michigan had Blake Corum. But if you're Michigan and you're a fan of that school, I I don't know how you remotely feel any confidence if he's not 100. percent You can't. I mean, he is. This is no he's joke. The team. This is no shade. Like, this is no hatred. This he is their team. He's their offense. I, their quarterback is watching. not good. Their wide receivers are nothing to write home about. It is the offensive line, and it is him. Yeah, I've been watching the World Cup, and uh, one of the terms they use for, like, one of those really, like, the midfielders that aren't necessarily the best, most talented midfielders, they call them the engine. They, like, do everything well. And that's what Blake Corum does for this Michigan team. Like, when you need a first down, he gets it. When you need a big play, he makes it. And from out, without that, like, you know, you're relying on J.J. McCarthy, who's still honestly pretty unproven up to this point. He hasn't had really any real tests, and – He's made some impressive throws. We all knew we had that level of talent in him. You know, I remember one guy, uh, I can't remember, he tweeted like, yeah, you know, J.J. McCarthy, he's made some really impressive throws. And it's like, you know, he's a five-star recruit. Like, this, he's talented. I'm like, yeah, you know, five-star recruits tend to be talented, dude. It's not the big plays. It's that he doesn't make a lot of big plays, period. And I think part of that we've mentioned, Jim Harbaugh has him on a leash at all times, has every quarterback on a leash at all times. And I don't know what he's going to do. Uh, the other thing I saw uh, I know this what he's week, gonna like, do. he's going to overthrow his wide receivers. Yeah, because yeah. he's downfield very inaccurate. <laughs> yeah, and he, like unless he's rolling to his right, his accurate is very scattershot. That brother can't uh, hit. A, that brother couldn't hit a moving target to save his life. Yeah, what's that drill they do at the Pro Bowl now with all the quarterbacks, where they have to hit all the targets moving? <laughs> yeah, I'd love to see them do that with big time quarterbacks. It would be you'd have like one or two guys can do it, and then it would just be so atrocious. Two through fourteen. That would or be three funny. through fourteen. I need to uh, see it. All right, so offensive line in and out. Um, hold on, let me pull up this comment I got. Uh, bad podcasting, sorry guys, but I, I, I didn't fact check this. I trust people on the internet. I shouldn't. Uh, I, I, Michigan fans have been chiming at me every once in a while, especially on on YouTube. So I, I get it; it's it's the way it is. But I just wanted to look at this real quick, pull it up, and see. Uh, Michigan, I think the stat was they played with twenty six different offensive linemen combinations, not twenty six different offensive linemen. That's absurd. That's insane. Don't even think I said that. That was an unfinished thought. But they have played with a lot of combinations of offensive linemen this year with guys in and out. And I remember last year, Ohio State kind of had those continuity issues on the offensive line. And once they finally played a defensive line that could take advantage of that, i.e. team in week 12, it did not look great. So I, I'm, I, I think an underrated matchup, you know, everyone's talked up. Michigan's offensive line this whole year. I think we jokingly said they'll probably get the more award because they're they're like a very statistically efficient offensive line. But name a single defensive line on their schedule that has JT Tuamalayu on it. There's not that has one. the new Zach Harrison. 
there's not one. It's Jack Sawyer getting three straight sacks in three straight games. Like, playing football at the right time. We haven't seen a Mike Hall explosion game in, like, what, six weeks? Something like that, yeah. Mike's coming. I'm nervous. Like, I, I think that's the interior offensive line, Zach Zinter. Uh, hold on, God, I got to read this off because I don't want to get his name wrong. Olusugan uh, Timi, I still got it wrong, but you know, you guys know him. Uh, and then Giovanni Ohadi. Uh, their interior offensive lineman versus Ohio State's interior offensive lineman is going to be an incredibly vital matchup to watch because that is going to determine a lot of success in both the run and the pass. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Olu Olutimi is a top two or three center in college football. He's probably a first-round pick. Their run game very much runs off of him. Um, And so we are going to really need to test him. But thankfully, we have have a, a, a pretty solid rotation inside where we can throw different body types, different speeds, different weights, levels of strength, and mixing blitzing linebackers. But he is absolutely the key to their offensive line. He is arguably the best transfer player in the country. He he is essentially what Jameis, uh, Jamison Williams was to um, Alabama. A very, very necessary piece. So that is a very talented player that most people probably aren't going to care about because they don't watch the offensive line, but he is really the, the engine that kind of moves them. And so that's going to be something very interesting to watch as well, how our interior does against their interior because not that they're weak necessarily, but they are not as strong on the edge and they do not have, I mean, we've already played two of the three best tackles in the big 10. And the third one is on our team. We played the guy uh, at Maryland uh, and he's actually the guy that Zach Harrison beat twice, but he's a projected first round pick. And we played the guy at Penn state who is uh, being projected as the first, potentially the first tackle off the board. Yeah. So and Skaronsky too. Don't forget. him. Yeah. We played three of the four best left tackles. Um, So that's going to help the defensive line as well, because, there, I mean, it, again, there will be time for shade, and I've already thrown some. This is not shade. At best, at best, this is the fifth best offensive tackle that they will face because they have to face Paris in practice, and then they face the three guys we just talked about. That is going to help. You have 11 games of pass rush moves and counters against better players, against, you know, of really working it out, and then you get to see an offensive line that is not at the tip-top level of what you have faced, and that's not to mean we're going to get a million sacks, although it feels like we've averaged five sacks a game for like the last four games straight. But they haven't faced our defensive line, but our defensive line has faced them, essentially. Maybe not the center. Again, really, really good. But as far as tackles and that kind of stuff, we've seen that. Yeah, and I, I would say their left tackle, uh, I believe, what Ryan Hayes, he's got a lot of experience, but he has not necessarily been the like corner piece of their offensive line. And I think that's something that uh, – is going to be an interesting matchup to watch. I know Jim Knowles likes to get his more athletic rusher to that side. And in situations that would mean JT's on that side rushing against him, Jack Sawyer's on that side rushing against him. So I'll be intrigued to see how that goes and how he manages that team. Uh, The right tackle, I believe, uh, he's also a 
like a solid tackle. Like he'd probably be playing at a lot of places, but he's a little bit on the smaller side for a tackle, six foot five, three hundred eight pounds. It's not necessarily uh, a huge guy, and we've seen the length of we've seen the length. You know, he's a. Uh, Made 13 starts. So, so they've got about 27 starts coming into this year, which means what? They've got 22 more combined starts this season. Uh, it, it's a lot of experience there, and I, they've got a very experienced offensive line. And they played this group last year, and I think you know that could raise some false expectations for Michigan's offensive line, thinking that defensive line they're playing is the same group. Yeah, because last year's defensive line was not great. Um, and, and it's, you know, just kind of the overall point that we're getting to. This defense is the it factor because it is significantly better than it was. That That is just yeah. true. Um, that and at every level, defensive line, better. Linebackers, significantly better. Safeties, better. Corners, not better. More depth, though. And Michigan doesn't have good wide receivers. I'm not worried about Andrew Anthony. I'm just not. I'm sorry. I'm not worried about yeah, Ronnie I'm not worried Bell. about Ronnie Bell. Ronnie Bell is I'm not. Ronnie Bell as old as us, man. <laughs> like, whoa! Don't 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 let them don't let them hear you misage somebody. Like, right, you Ronnie Bell is a twenty-seven year old man. I, I don't care what anyone says. Like, Ronnie Bell is forty-five in college football years. If you don't know his exact date of birth, uh, you know someone's gonna I, the worst part. About the worst part about all this is I still think Ronnie Bell has a year of eligibility left. There's no way. That's what I thought, and I, I it, you know, once again, trusting people on the internet. Never goes wrong. No, because the, the extra year, this might just be his fifth year, which means he has a six. Because he had an injury redshirt already. Oh. And, and I think he took a true redshirt. So he might have another year. He might actually get to our age in college. <laughs> he's going to have two master's degrees by the time he's done, just like Daxton Hill, six year senior. I, I, I support it, man. For the All educational right. journey, because he's not going to the league like that. Get those masters, right. man. We've got a few more things on the Michigan Report, but we're going to take a quick break for our sponsors. We'll see you guys on the flip side to continue talking the game. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back in, everybody. This is Christopher Rennie bringing another episode of the Fuck Off Podcast with Lane Grant. Holy land. Halftime adjustment. I got it right that time. Listen, uh, Jim Knowles, number one at halftime adjustments. Fuck Off Pod, number two. Doesn't get any better than that. That's what it's all about. Uh, yeah, we've got the uh, Michigan Report. We're getting into the enemy. As media professionals, we are going by the real name, but on Twitter, you know, I don't think I will be by Saturday. Uh, but as a media professional, my name. Yeah, I'm fortunate. I so my issue is my last name's R E N N E, and I think sometimes it looks like an M. So I might have to just put two X's in there just so no confusion happens. That's going to be even more confusing because I'm like, what the hell is your last name? Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> my my name on Twitter yeah. right now is is Tommy Eichenberg. So, um, 
there's some there's some ends in there that had to go. Yeah, well, that, that was a crime. Him not getting put on that award I'm, list. Is, I'm really not even ready to talk about that. Like, yeah, we'll just, that's, we're gonna have to talk about the awards in like what two weeks. So we'll save it for then. But yeah, it, I it didn't derail the Tommy Train at all. Like the Tommy Train's more than awards. Like. It's just getting respect for the best linebacker in college football. Yeah, but uh, the biggest thing for me is just like, just say you don't watch football, man. Like, you have a guy from Georgia who I've never heard of, and I've watched Georgia play. He has 54 tackles in 11 games. How is he one of the best linebackers in the country? Yeah, I'll be honest. The guy from Arkansas is a dude. I'll give him Tommy, credit. Like, and so is the guy from Cincinnati. Like, it's not that He's they're all scrubs, but like how Tommy has more solo tackles than this guy has total tackles. Yeah. And this guy Tommy, made the list. How? Tommy, I'm not saying he's number one on the list. I'm not saying he deserves linebacker of the year award. Even that's exactly what I am saying. He does absolutely. But I will he, say he's at least top three. He's not. And he's okay. top three, but he's at least top three. The, the Big Ten has a lot of position awards. Does the Big Ten have a, a straight-up linebacker award? They do, right? Yeah, and, uh, yeah they, have they do. For every position? Jack Campbell's so. not. If anyone with common sense is honestly. Jack Campbell's not winning that award over Tommy Eichenberg. And if it, and if it is, it's literally a legacy award because people knew his name. So if he's not the best linebacker in the Big Ten, how is he on the list? Yeah, uh, so I, I did. I voted for that award. I voted for Tommy one first place vote. I voted for Ivan Pace Jr. second place vote. He made the list, so my second place vote got there. And then I voted for that kid from Old Dominion, or not Old Dominion, the other guy who had like seventy solo tackles and like sixty eight assisted tackles in like week nine. So I voted for him. Give some love to the little guy. Yeah, I, I just I did I don't not. Understand. I did not I did not vote for the guy with like 111 assisted tackles. I just I couldn't fathom it. Yeah. Also, it's funny because like um, it's it's funny that like uh, what are they gonna say? Uh, there is oh on all the fan voting, which this is fan voting, so it's fine. On all the fan voting, Jalen Hyatt is still like winning for like the Bolitnikov, and I'm like. Jalen Hyatt is not the best wide receiver in the country. Y'all, he, it's just the only name that you know. Like, it's fine, it's I guess, that it's the only name that you know, but it, it's it's kind of not that fine also. So, yeah. Well, I, I thought that Marvin had, like, 36% of the vote, so I hope it hasn't swung since then. Oh, well, when I voted, it was 40. So I must have been early. So here are the stats for uh, – Jack uh, Jack Campbell and Tommy Eichenberg. Um, this is also very wrong. No, it's not. No, it's not. No, it's not. Okay. Jack Campbell, 109 tackles. Tommy Eichenberg, 105 tackles. Jack Campbell, 48 solo tackles, 61 assisted. That number is almost directly flipped. Tommy Eichenberg has 67 solo tackles, 38 assisted tackles. He has uh, two and a half sacks, an interception, and an interception return for a touchdown. 
I understand that the stats are very similar, but the solo tackle should win out, right? The interception should help win out. Jack Campbell has zero sacks. The sacks should help win out. Like they're like all of these things are yeah. here. And this isn't showing tackles for a loss. I'd have to Plus, look at right. another thing for tackles for a loss. But it's just like and I know Jack Campbell's been good. Yeah, Can't I mean he's me great. Like, off this Ohio State defense and what is it? Where's it at? Let's talk about it. I mean, yeah, I, I think you. I think Jack Campbell is a system linebacker. Oh, oh, wait, 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 wait. Tommy is third in the Big Ten at twelve total tackles for loss. Okay, Jack Campbell is not on, not in the top twenty-five. That's absurd in the Big Ten. Right. I'm gonna get too angry. It's okay to get angry about this stuff. We're gonna save it. We're gonna save it. This will be a good not, show. He's not in the top twenty-five of tackles for loss on the season. How yeah. is he like and the crazy thing is he's a Buckus finalist. He's probably actually going to win the Big Ten linebacker of the year award because nobody knows anything or pays attention to anything. And it is in our it is not arguable. Tommy Eichenberg is having the better season. He's having the more integral season and it is leading to better things, i.e. an 11-0 record versus a 7-4 record. I'll be honest. All I think the Tommy train needs to run it back. That's kind of where I'm at now. I'm, I'm disgusted. So it's it's just it's really annoying. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's finish up this Michigan report yeah. here. No, we've got JJ McCarthy. Uh, we haven't really talked much about him this year on this podcast specifically. I kind of think I, 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 I heard him talking after the game, and they, uh, I believe it was Molly McGrath after the Illinois game was asking JJ uh, McCarthy, "Why do you, why can this team beat Ohio State?" And he said, "This team's better than last year." And I I wanted to I wanted to look into that and. I'll be honest. I personally don't think so. And I, I wondered how you felt about those comments. But the team's not better than last year. It's, it's, I, you, it's not. You can't lose Aiden Hutchinson and have a better football team. Yeah, and that's the thing. It's like they're kind of buying into the stats and things like that. Michigan's defense as a whole, and I've heard people make this argument, and I may kind of believe it. They may be better as a whole down to down, but they're missing that special thing, right? Like even Ohio State like this year – it's missing like it, it, we're starting to get it, but we're missing that special. I know for an absolute fact, if we need to play right now, Chase Young is coming through. Yeah. But with the way Ohio State schemes it and different things like that, a lot of times the defense gets those stops no matter what. That's not that big of a deal. But Michigan is missing that. If they need a stop, who's getting it for them? Like which player? Yeah. Who is doing it? Who's coming up big? They don't who's have that. Changing that momentum back. Like who's swinging the pendulum back to Michigan? That's the question. They don't have that. And to say so, to say that they're better, eh, I I I can't agree with that. Um, I can't yeah, agree with I, that. Someone used the fact that they've had uh, sixteen players with a sack recorded. Versus last year where they had like eight guys with like a sack recorded. And I'm like, yeah, well, that's because Aiden Hutchinson and David Ajabo were both 10 sack guys. Yeah. Also, like, I don't – you can't convince me that their offense is better because last year they had 
Um, Hassan Haskins, Blake Corum, and a healthy Donovan oh, Edwards. God. Now yeah. we have Blake Corum and a not healthy Donovan Edwards. Donovan Edwards hasn't played the whole game. Like, so I get well, some scheme things dude. maybe better here or there. You some more kind of consistency, etc. You know those kind of things. Yeah, but it's just I, like as a as a whole as an aggregate, I I just can't say that you are better with what you have lost. Yeah, I'd say if I had to go through position groups for them, I'd say their linebackers are a little better this year. I'd say their offensive line's better this year. And I think that's where it stops. I don't think any position is significantly better. Than a wash. Running back is worse only because again they only have one and a half one running backs instead of three. Well, safety is like half and half right now. Worse. Yeah, safety's yeah. absolutely worse. Uh, corner, probably the same. Wide receiver, yeah. you could maybe argue a slight uptick because Ronnie Bell is healthy, but like, eh, he's average. So that I'll, I'll consider that are all wash. banged up. So well, that's I would worse. say they're young. Their young tight end's better than Eric All, so I think that actually worked out better for him. Yeah, you know, we don't have to get into this, but, like, where did the Eric All hype come from? Because I don't think he was that good. and He, he, he never used, put up any crazy stats. He was used less than Ohio State uses their tight ends. It's yeah. like he made one play, and they were like, yes. Like, he is amazing. And it's like, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, but I, he, it's a good question. He's no Kate Stover, that's for sure. Nah. Yeah, but all right. Last thing, I, I think Michigan's philosophy is something that's a little interesting to talk about. Uh, both sides of the ball are very similar. They do not have make a. They don't risk a lot. They don't do a lot of risky things. And I think it's worked so well because they've outmatched and outdisciplined every single opponent they've played so far. But when talent's equal, you got to take some risk, right? Like, I, I don't think you could play a very conservative game. Like, you're not going to – if you play Ohio State, like you played Illinois and kick, what was it, four field goals in side, like, the 15-yard line? Like, that's not a recipe for success. Yeah, and one of the things that people ignore, and I don't know how big of a deal, right, how much Gaddis was involved in this, or, or how, I, I guess that's to say, how little Sharon Moore was involved in this versus Gaddis. But one thing that people forget last year about Michigan, uh, they ran a lot of trick plays against Ohio State that really, really worked. Things to get a lot of, like, sweeps and reverses and things to get on the outside. It wasn't, like, as much as they probably themselves is we're just going to run down your throat. That is not what they did, especially early. And that opened up their ability to kind of just line up and run and play math mouth football because, you know, football is a, a game where you kind of set up things and counter, et cetera, et cetera. But they haven't shown that as much this year. So that's something to, to watch out for because despite how tough and much they believed in themselves, they brought out a package and game plans and things that they hadn't done to test Ohio State. And to your point, if they're not willing to do that, if they're going to play this disciplined, you know, straight, you know, I'm going to tell you where I'm running and you have to stop me thing. I don't know that that's going to bode well for them because Tommy's going to beat them to the spot which he's done all year. Yeah. And defensively, it's like, yeah, if you run the same coverage and you run and you bring the same pressures all game, without that elite pass rusher, it's not something that, you know, you're going to have that same 
you know, uh, efficiency with against a team like Ohio State. So, yeah, I just think philosophically Michigan is the antithesis of what Ohio State likes to do. They like to hold the ball and they like to control possession and they really just want to run the ball. If they could run the ball every single play downfield, they would, and they'd be happy about it. And Absolutely. I like Sharon more. I like him. I think he's a good OC. I think he's a good line coach. But does it feel like since Gaddis has left, the passing game's lost a little bit of its uh, explosiveness, honestly. I, I think that- – Yeah, I, I- – <laughs> I can't say that Gaddis is the best offensive coordinator, and I think they were a really good pairing because Sharon Moore brings that toughness, the like elite run game kind of like design and things like that. Where Gaddis brought like the play design, the motions. Again, they are still doing this, but just to a different level. Like, like you know, being the ability to draw up a play to scheme people open and things like that. And I just don't think that that is Sharon Moore's wheelhouse. Which again which is why they were great together because you got both of those things. And that element is something that they are missing um, with losing him. Um, And I would say that Sharon Moore was probably the biggest component to their success last year because, again, the toughness to run design, that kind of stuff. But when they needed something special, Josh Gaddis could bring that, and that is not something that I've seen so far um, because I think Sharon Moore is very much like Jim Harbaugh, and we're Michigan. We're not going to be stopped. We're going to run this play, and what are you going to do about it? Yeah, 100%. And I think that's going to be an interesting dynamic coming forward because I, I was trying to find some stuff to like look at their passing game for the film preview. And they hit some big plays downfield, and they make some nice throws, but a lot of it's just crisscrossers uh, beneath the sticks. You know, a lot of play-action rollouts to try to get the ball pushed downfield. It's nothing really dynamic. And I think even with McNamara last year, there were some very nice passing concepts that I was looking back to the game last year that Michigan was running, and they trusted. And I think that's something I'm just not seeing this year. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. It's just something I thought about. Yeah, so one thing that I had heard on another podcast that I hadn't really thought about also when it comes to their offense is that nobody has just played man ball with them and, you know, gave an extra body to the run and just dared them to throw because, you know, they're not great, but not everyone has the athletes to be able to feel comfortable in doing that. Ohio State has the athletes. Yeah, Illinois is probably the closest team to doing that. Because they have Weatherspoon at corner, and he's really good. They had two really good corners. Yeah, and so Ohio State's going to do that and dare him to beat them throwing the ball um, because yeah. you, you can commit that extra, you know. It's actually going to be interesting because Ohio State's uh, game plan is probably going to be similar to what Iowa and what uh, Northwestern did against us, and it's going to be fun, especially if it works. It's going to be fun watching that against someone else versus against us because, like, oh, my God, yeah. why the hell are we running into an eight-man box? Like, Michigan's yeah, probably going to see some of those. So, it. Yeah, for sure. A lasting Jesse Minter so far. Uh, how much do you think this credit deserves to be Minter's, and how much do you think that it's just the fortunate ability of taking over something that's already pretty built well? Um, I, 
I give him some credit. It's a mix of both, but I think it's some credit because they lost all the players with a name. And so for them not to have any star, because they don't have a star. Uh, Mozzie Smith is the closest to it, but he's not a star. He's just a very good player. He's an NFL player, of course. Like, don't, you know, that's, don't get me twisted. That's not yeah. what I'm saying, but he's not a star. So for them not to have any stars, but to still be this good and disciplined and in the right spaces and things like that, I do think he deserves a lot of credit for that. Um, Again, though, who have they played? Um, right, it, it's kind of yeah. easy when you're playing a team like that's not super super challenging to you offensively. And the one team that was Maryland was in a really good game with them for a little bit, and we're you know two three steps above them. But I do think Minter deserves uh, some credit, uh, which is funny because I was talking a lot of trash about the hiring because who hires someone from Vanderbilt? The thing though is this is a one year thing. I'm not going to give him too much credit until he does it for two, three, four, for five years. For a sustained years, amount of time, yeah. uh, Because that's what, you know, makes a defensive coordinator good and a coach good. But, yeah. no, I, I think he deserves some credit for sure. Yeah, and I was looking at the games, and I just wanted to see, like, the most points they've given up. The most points they've given up in a game is 27 this year, and that was to Maryland. So, since then, 14-10, 17-7, 17-3-17. So, Illinois, I, they really needed Minter's unit to step up, and they did, and they – Oh, and also Brett Bielema happened. You know how he usually does and just lost that game for him. But yeah, yeah I, I just have, I, I think, I think we were both really hard on this hire when it happened. Like, oh my God, you're going to try to do the same thing twice. Like whatever. And very similarly to what I said about Jim Knowles to open up the show, like none of that will matter for Michigan. None of the stats will matter if they go out and lose this game. Mentor will have his head on a, if they give up 35 points and lose, he will have his head on a stick outside of the big house when he gets back. Yeah, for sure. So, um, but yeah, I mean, he's, he's definitely good, done a good job with them. That's, that's why this game is interesting because they are a good team. Like, and as everyone else, they have flaws and we talked about that and, and, and stuff, but they are genuinely a good team that that's well put together and well coached. Um, understand their assignments and, and that kind of stuff. So it's going to be a challenge. I just, you know, have a lot of faith because, I, again, I don't know if I said this before the podcast or, or, or on the podcast, so I'll say it again. I'm not convinced that Michigan's defense is better than Iowa's. So, yeah, he, I think you said it on here and I think you said it before. And I will say this. I said this. Uh, I, I don't know. I was talking to someone this week. I'm like, the one psychopath on Ohio State's football team that's going to go back and he's going to watch all 11 of these games in his own time and he's going to go back and watch last year's game and he's probably going to go back and watch all of Michigan's games last year is C.J. Stroud. So there, I don't believe that there is going to be a single thing Michigan throughout him Saturday that he's not prepared for. Mm. Especially because they're not, uh, you know, super big into disguising and things like that. And they figured out Iowa. The biggest thing with Iowa is they ran a defense that we've literally never seen them run. Michigan's not going to do that. They're going to come out and run what they run. Um, yeah. And so there's a lot of there's a lot of things that are really coming up in my opinion Ohio State's favor and I really think that this is a game that we should win and even have the ability to dominate this is really gonna the thing is it's really just gonna test the toughness aspect of it because especially on the defense because the defense has to get stops because Michigan's defense is good enough that we're they're going to get stops on us this is not going to be the Maryland you know, the game where we score 10 touchdowns on 12 possessions 
possessions, we may only score touchdowns on 50% of our possessions. So the defense needs to get more stops so we have more than six or seven possessions. We really need to still be in that 10 to 12 range to have some time to figure it out. And if they're constantly driving and we're not getting stops and stuff like that, that puts more pressure on the offense because then the offense has to be perfect because one punt or one three and out or whatever can change the game. And so I really think that's like that's where it lies because the offense is going to figure it out. There's not a team alive that can hold Ohio State under 20 points, right? Like it's just not going to happen. We could win this game 21 to 17 if the defense shows up. But the biggest thing is the defense because the offense is going to put up enough points to win. They're going to put up 21. They're probably going to get close to 30. This team scores 40 points in its sleep. It's really disgusting how that happens. Um, So it's like they're going to put the points there. It's about the defense, you know, holding up its in the bargain. The defense could get off the field. And let's get it like we get into the biggest question marks after this. But for Ohio State, uh, if the defense could get off the field early in series and force Michigan into an uncomfortable game where they can eat up clock, if Ohio State gets into a situation where they're up, up 10 points or up seven points even. That puts Michigan in a place they haven't been all year. They have not played from behind very much, so they've been able to sit comfortably. They've been able to really just kind of extend long drives and, like, eat clock. And the first time I think I've seen them have to work for points in a speedy manner, they still really struggled at it against Illinois. So I I just – that's a big question mark for me for them. Can Michigan, if they get down – convert points fast, quickly, if they need it. And I I don't know if that's true. I don't know if they can. We haven't really seen them have to do that. And even if – well, I mean, we won't know if they can until we see it, right, because they have them in in this position. But also their offensive style is not – geared towards doing that. So even if they have the ability, it's still going to be a struggle because it's going to take them entirely out of their game script and their element because they are not a team that is meant to score quickly. And so to just be like to just turn that on is not, you know, it's really just not something that you can that most teams can do, right? You can't change the makeup of your team. Yeah, you're right. And I I, I agree with that and I, I'm interested to see that part of the matchup. Um, it'll be, it'll be, it's going to be, that's one of those philosophical like competition parts, you know? All right. So I don't think this is going to be a long segment. I didn't come up with that many big question marks heading into the game. Um, I, I like, if you have any to add, feel free to do it. Um, the first one, obviously, health of the running backs, right? Like, who's playing? Who's healthy? Both sides. Ohio State's biggest question marks. Who are they going to be defending from that position? And who is going to be running the ball for them? Honestly, even bigger than that, like hand in hand in that, it's not just health of the running backs. It's how quickly does the coach identify which running back is either A, healthy, is the guy, yeah. or B, the guy that is, you know – actually playing well um that's important so it should um, not take as long for ryan day to turn it over to dallin hayden this game i don't believe if trey or mayan do start and don't look full speed i don't think it's one of those things where you give them three or four series to get going this time around 
Yep. Um, hopefully they kind of start out with Dallin. I doubt it. <laughs> like I just don't yeah, believe they're going to do that. Uh, they're probably I think it'll probably Mayan, be but it'll probably be Mayan. Uh, it'll probably be mine. All right. The next thing I have, one of the biggest question marks heading into the game is how does Ohio State control their emotions, especially at the start of the game? You know, it's something, you know, we talk about the buildup. I think we all have that emotional buildup for this game. We've been waiting for this moment for an entire year. Um, the players are going to be in a much more emotional state than us. The reason they're Division One football players is because in big moments like this, in their high school, in their c- careers as football players, they've been able to control those emotions and, you know, take care of business when they've had these big opportunities. Do they come out firing? Do they come out disciplined? Do they come out and make plays from the jump? Or do you see nerves? Do you see dumb penalties? Do you see that stuff of just over-eagerness? I think that's a big question I have heading into the game. Yeah, I think that's a good question for any game, and there's no way to answer it uh, until you see it, right? Um, I think the biggest thing is if that happens, how long does it take to settle it down? I don't imagine it'll happen a whole, whole lot, though, because we're at home and that it, uh, that's a very big thing. So, um, But I do think there may be some overhypeness and, and a little bit of pressing just because they know what the game means. But it's a it's all about how quickly they settle. Yeah, yeah, that's how I feel. All right, next on the list, one of the biggest questions. CJ Stroud, it's not even really a question. It's whatever statement. CJ Stroud's legacy is on the line. Uh, to be honest, I don't think he even has to play well. I just think they need to win the game. Yeah. And his legacy is fine. But, I mean, his legacy, if he's the first Heisman winner since 2006, his legacy is going to skyrocket. Uh, which maybe him winning the Heisman is what's going to allow people to realize that he's the best quarterback we've ever had. But, you know, that's a conversation we can have another day. Yeah. Pro prospect versus, like, actual production. And, like, JT Barrett's technically the best quarterback Ohio State's ever had if we go no, into he's stats. Not. So, no, he's not. If we go into stats, the no, record books. Not. No, I'm just kidding. We're not. Uh, <laughs> because, because if CJ Stroud played 17 years like him, that record book would never be touched again. So, like, yeah. I did say that about the last three quarterbacks. Quarterbacks. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, absolutely. Is this uh is this Jim Knowles' biggest moment in his entire coaching career? And do you think he understands that? Yes, and yes. I think he has been a he has been very aware of the standard of Ohio State and what he accepted and why they went for him and why he's getting paid the money. Um, he hasn't been in a national championship. So the biggest thing that he's been in is maybe a bowl game or, or a conference championship, which not to say that's not important, but we already said the game is the biggest game, the biggest rivalry. This is the biggest moment. It, there's so much on the line again. Big Ten Championship, national championship hopes, playoffs, all of that kind of stuff. And as much as he talks about how he doesn't look at last year and he doesn't consider it because he wasn't here and all of that kind of stuff, which is the best way to do it, um, this is his first chance, right? This is his first shot against Michigan. And if the issues are showing up that were there last year that got the coaching staff fired, that's not going to look good for him. Yeah, absolutely. So that's where I that's where the question came up for me. I, I was just looking at his like career, you know, and it, he has like obviously you play in rivalry games wherever you're at. Everybody has a rival, uh, but yeah, his last game 
in Bedlam. They had lost, uh, was it six straight games? And this was his like swan song to Oklahoma State was beating Oklahoma. So he has experience in this type of rivalry. He has experience in that very like heated. He's been the underdog in rivalries. He's done all these things, but. Oh, yeah, Duke-UNC, I know it's not the same level. He's been in rivalries, and I was going to say this while you're well, – I thought about this while you're talking. It's like he got paid $1.9 million because he's a talented defensive coordinator. But the reality of it is, is he got paid – he gets paid $1.9 million a year to win this football game. Yeah, and national championships. Yeah. And it all starts with this one. I, I, think, I think as a collective, we all lost sight of that last year. Yeah, well, that's actually – I don't know if this is going to come up, um, but I think the players – and we talked about this. Uh, Emeka Egbuka said that they had grown apathetic to Michigan, and it's kind of hard to maintain a standard when there's not a single person in the program, no matter how old they are, that had experienced a Michigan loss. Yeah. Yep, until last year. Wow. That's, that's crazy. Yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, lastly, I just think the offensive line, you know, do they show up when we need one yard? Do they show up when you need to get in the end zone? Do they show up when C.J. Stroud needs protection to deliver a big strike down the field? Like, We're changing the narrative. Does the running back find the hole when we need one yard? The hole that is that's there. True. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's a good way to put it. Does – the team as a collective get that one yard when we need it. We'll go with that. I like that. Yeah. Gotta, I'm, I'm, and I'm starting to be offended for the offensive line now. You know, gotta stick up. Gotta stick up for my guys. Yeah, honestly, it's funny because it's just different every single week. You know, sometimes the line's getting blown up. Sometimes the running backs not finding the hole. But the weeks it does work, it's looked it's looked elegant as hell. So. All right, I got the quote book. Let's go. Let's get into some quotes. I don't. I didn't write a lot of them down uh, because the issue with this week is kind they really do media availability this week, and they did it all on Tuesday. So if you really want to get into everything they said, you could go read probably for four straight hours. Like it's a it's a novel. But uh, I, I just think it's been. It's been a big, big week, man. Ryan Day, there's no stern stone turn left. There's no stone left unturned. Right after the game, uh, when he was getting interviewed, right before he signed, he got asked about the game. What did he say? This is where all the chips go in now. And then he walked off the field. Uh, Ryan Day, when he wants to be, is the king of one-liners, and he is. I don't think he has any apathy about this game. Uh, he's talked about all his players very highly this week. He's talked about playing with the motion against Michigan. It's about playing with the motion and not letting emotion play with you. I think that's kind of what we talked about a little bit, that emotional maturity it's going to take. It's going to be senior day. It's going to be emotional for that reason as well. Uh, a lot of guys have had some crazy journeys to get here. And I like. I think we talked about this. That Cam Bab touchdown, it's not necessarily – something that will have an effect on this game specifically. But those young players, they see what this game's going to mean to Camp Bad. They see what this game's going to mean to Zach Harrison. They see what this game's going to mean to Teron Vincent to go out the right way. And that's something everybody always talks about. Honestly, for Tommy Eichenberg, for these guys who are probably draft eligible, that is 
where I think Ryan Day's been hitting at. I think that's what the team's been hitting at. Like this is where this is the last place. This is it. This is how you go out. This is how you're remembered. And man, I don't know, man. Ryan Day's talking this week got me so excited for this football game. <sighs> yeah, and the, the interesting thing that we kind of tend to forget, this is a very, very young team. Like all of our major contributors, except like four of them, are coming back next year. Like obviously Stroud's not, Zach Harrison's not, Ronnie Rocket Hickman is not. Tanner McAllister. Yeah, right. So it's going to be his, his last game. Yeah. And, and then, you know, like, you know, Paris and, and, and Dewan. But every everyone else is coming back. I mean, maybe a couple people leave. Maybe Mayan leaves or transfers or whatever. But almost the entire defensive line is coming back. Um, Steel Chambers is most likely coming back. Multiple of the safeties, all of the corners except Cam Brown. Like, you get this win for the older guys that are leaving, and then you take momentum into JT Jack, Mike Hall, Ty Leak, Dewan, uh, not Dewan, uh, Donovan Jackson, um, hopefully a better resurgent, Travion Henderson, Dallin Hayden, all literally all three wide receivers coming back. Like you take that momentum into that next year and you do it again and you rebuild the culture of we don't lose to Michigan. Like this is this is definitely important for a lot of reasons. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I don't think I have much more to say about what Ryan Day said. I think it's basically just what you want to hear from the head coach heading into this game. Uh, did you see anything interesting from Jim Knowles this week? I think uh, he talked about the resilience to overcome adversity this season. That's competitive excellence that Coach Day always talks about. I love how he calls him Coach Day. That always cracks me up. Uh, not Ryan, because I think Kevin Wilson drops the Ryan sometimes. Jim Doles keeps it professional at all times. Uh, and then he was asked about Michigan's run game and that grinds on a defense throughout the game. Like, I sometimes reporters just need to, like, cut the question down. Jim Doles, yeah. how do you feel about Michigan's run game? Uh, yeah, Jim Doles knows that they like to grind teams down. That's his job. They're a team that wants to wear you down and get you in the fourth quarter. I think we have answers for that. That should scare people. That's what I want to hear. That should scare people. That scares me a little bit. I'm on his side, so – I mean, uh, like, and then he just talk, talked about Tommy and stuff. But yeah, let's yeah. get into that. The thing that's so interesting, and I mentioned this on I think the last podcast, is there are that we've seen four different ways that they stop the run. There is the regular just base alignment there, which is two linebackers and uh, safety on the outside, deep line, deep whatever, right? Then there's three linebackers. Then there's four linebackers. Then there's the base defense, but the safety, who a lot of times has been Lathan Ransom, comes down and essentially plays middle linebacker, um, which they've done. Like there, there's a lot of different kind of ways that they that he has to attack the run, and these are just the four that we've seen. This is not to say that there's not another one. There are still run blitzes and other things to consider and that kind of stuff. So him saying that is like, hey, what, what are we doing here? Like, what, what are we talking about? I, I want to know why you're so confident. I I think I know why you're so confident. I mean, look, first of all, you have Tommy Eichenberg, right? Like, and as good as Michigan's yeah. offensive line is, and again, we're gonna keep saying that they're good because they are. 
are they going to beat offensive? our ass on the on the offensive line? They may win some battles, but are they going to just like bully us? No, not with Jack, not with Tyleek. Zach Harrison, we've been saying for years before he started getting some sack production, he is a very good run defender. Zach Harrison's not getting bullied, right? So, and then you have freaking yeah, he's like you have Tommy running back there. Like it's just yeah, it, it's. That is very exciting that he feels like they have some some uh, counters to that. Yeah, I, I'm intrigued by um, – I'm always intrigued by Jim Knowles. Anytime he talks, it's the best. Uh, the other – I mean, we know the big quote we all want to get into. Um, what did Cade say? I'm trying to find the specific quote. Uh, I couldn't give a shit what anybody else says about our toughness. We know what we've got. If it's Cade Stover saying, I don't think Cade Stover would would lie about a tough team. I think he'd just be very mum about it, if not. But I think this shows. I mean, we heard it at the end of the last game. I, I, who said it was it? Zach Harrison. He's like, yeah, Tommy's playing with two broken hands. Lathan yeah. Ransom broke his thumb on the first play. You, you know how much of a psychopath you have to be to play with two broken hands. And then get 13 tackles. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Like, and not lack any production. Yeah, I mean, what, he, was he a St. Ed's guy? Yes, I believe so. Yeah. Yeah, he looks like one. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, it's funny. That picture of Joel Klatt that uh, Josh in our group chat sent looked just like Tommy, honestly. Cut from the same class. I want to see their ancestry. I'm elite. Uh, but yeah, I, I, overall, I, I just love like, man, this team, it's a team, you know, it's, I, I, I think we haven't appreciated this year for this team as much as we probably would have had Ohio state been one and against Michigan last year. And I think it's an incredible opportunity for all these coaches and all these players to get that cathartic release that they've had built up this whole year. And I'm just hoping for the sake of the players that they just leave it all out on the line. Like, you know, that's really all you can ask for at the end of the day. You don't want to leave anything out there. Yeah, uh, 100%. Um, so I think they will. I, it's not a thing. I know they will. I know they will. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, last thing, I've got some presser bullets from the Wolverines. Uh, Jim Harbaugh on if OSU is different this year. I thought this was interesting. He said they're a really good team, improved team. It's a tremendous team. We're very grateful. And blah, blah, blah. Winner takes the East. Winner, blah, blah, blah. Strong opponent. And it's the kind of situation gives the others opportunity to display how strong our team is. There's no need to hate. It's like superheroes. It's through a strong opponent that you figure out how good you are. And you know, it sucks that he said that because I actually really agree with it. Like we've known who Ohio state was these last 15 years because they've just blown everybody off the field. Right. Last year they got punched in the mouth. I think they need this game to reestablish themselves as that perennial national title contender. And that's basically what Jim Harbaugh was in now. Like how good are you? This is the type of game where you find out. A hundred percent. And there's a lot of, um, you know, uh, there's a lot of like weird things in the media with Ohio State. Um, 
And I think Ohio State fans go a little too far sometimes with like, oh, the media hates us and stuff like that. But a dominant win here and a good run into the playoffs, even if we don't win the national championship, but especially if we do, is going to change some of the um, – some of the opinions on Ohio State. And I think that'll be good because last year really changed some of the opinions on Ohio State because it was so drastic. So, yeah, yeah it's crazy. So I wanted to get into some of the things offensive tackle Ryan Hayes said. Definitely one of their senior leaders, graduate age group. And if you're a graduate now with the COVID year, that means you're old, old. And not to get into ages again, but Ryan Hayes is old. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, this was like the one that everybody kind of ran with on Blake Corum. Uh, he's a great player, but everybody else is going to have to step up with him out. Sir? What? Yeah. He probably didn't mean that, but if he did, very or he interesting. Didn't mean it, and he just shouldn't have said it. So, one of the yeah, two. Or, or he's saying it to, you know, what's it called? It's smoking mirrors a little bit. Yeah. yeah. But like we said earlier, like I, I think I, if you ever witness someone injure their knee in real life, like that it looks like what Blake Corum did. Yeah, I am pretty confident that Blake Corum will play. Well, though, yeah, it, no. For how long? No idea. Is he going to make it out the first quarter? I kind of don't think so. But I think he'll be there. I think he'll try. Yeah, and then obviously Michigan has the beat Ohio period during practice. Ohio State Whoa. has stuff they do. Uh, it's, I, I saw Michigan fans complaining about Ohio. Like, like, you know how Ohio State tapes up the helmets to have the wings and, like, the blue yeah. and yellow on them, and they put the scout team in blue and yellow jerseys? Mm-hmm. They're saying, like, oh, yeah, it's the f- sincerest form of flattery. It's like, well, Ohio State's been doing that for, like, 60 years. Literally. Like, y'all just did the Beat Ohio drill last year. Like, the f- And then you bragged about it all offseason, and it's like, hey, but y'all are a little behind. Like, it's like y'all yeah. are a little behind with caring about this rivalry, man. Like, there's a Michigan period in every practice. There's the clock. There's like tradition around it. There's conversation around it constantly. Like it's involved in recruiting. Recru- literally, it's talked about so much that recruits don't like Michigan. Yeah. Uh, what was I saying? Uh, this one was funny. Maisie Smith said, "We're Batman. They can be Iron Man or something." Because he got asked about superhero analogy. Let's be honest. No, Ohio State's Batman. We're the greatest uh, superhero ever invented. Uh, that's not Batman. So, I mean, yeah, it is though because he's the best-selling comic of all time. Yeah, but like Batman's not a superhero. He's just a, a rich guy in a costume, which is Michigan. Right, it's offseason. Yeah, they're, no, they're I faking, don't know. I don't know if Michigan's being Batman. a superhero. They don't actually care about what? their community. They're just spending their money in education and beating up the clown. You, you, have you ever watched The Boys on Amazon? Yeah. Yeah, Michigan's Homelander. <laughs> the, the they just best, suck. The best thing about Batman is his villains. And the yeah, Batman. Yeah, like, Batman true. is not the best part about Batman. It's just that he has the best villains. Like, uh, the best thing about Michigan is Ohio State. So, yeah, they're Batman. Yeah. We're last, much better. Last, last thing... Jake Moody or Noah Ruggles, who you taking? Noah, every trip. 
Yeah, Noah Ruggles does the Naruto thing when he makes kicks. That's that's or, my guy. It's like the Ronaldo thing too. So I kind of respect it. That's my kicker. That's my kicker. He's a weirdo. He is. That's what you want. You want your kicker to be built a little different. All right. Um, I'm trying to see if there's anything, anything we missed from these quote books before we get into our final thoughts. And yeah, it's a. Uh, there's nothing really, man. Everything else is basically just we know the we know this game. Uh, so my last question for you before we get into final thoughts: Ohio State wins this game if Jim knows is what he was supposed to be. Yeah, I was gonna say simple. if. Yeah, I honestly think I just could go with that one because I think that's the truth. Honestly, I think the I mean, offense will do what it does. Enough threw for 400 yards last year. Yeah, like he, that's true. Like, how many times is you know, not even just how many times is an Ohio State quarterback going to throw for 400 yards and lose? It's not often. Like the offense didn't no. play bad. It's, it's it is the defense. I mean, and like you know, obviously, like you know, Aiden Hutchinson got some key sacks and crucial moments and things like that. That's why he was the number two pick, whatever it was, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, he turned some drives well. from touchdowns into field goals. The offense played very well, so it's simply if Jim knows is what he said he is. This is he's earning one point five uh, out, of, out of his one point nine million on Saturday. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So you got your final thought, and I'll get into mine, the one I hinted out way earlier in the show. Uh, my final thought is actually something that I saw on Twitter. Thought it was interesting. Would you rather all? Would you rather beat your rival every time, but never win a title, or win a title every five years but never beat your rival? I'll be honest. I'm taking being the rival every single time. I agree. After last year. I agree. Uh, I, I, I agree. Definitely. Especially because with, you know, the game, you can't win a national championship without beating them because they're a good team. Like you could maybe do that in like other conferences and, and things like that, I guess. But like, yeah, um, not my final thought is ultimately that I thought was funny. I hope everyone answers that in their head and really thinks about it. Um, but my final thought is really that Ohio State is the better team. They're the more talented team. They have flaws, but they have less flaws. Michigan won this game because they had a couple special players and they were more tough than us. Our, and the defense was just really, 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 really bad. Really, really bad. So um, those things seem to be seem to have been fixed, uh, but we won't know for sure. Um, I think that this is a game that Ohio State, while I'm not going to predict it, I think Ohio State could really blow the doors off Michigan if they play their best game um, and if they put everything together. So uh, Ohio State just it's just execute, right? Just do what you know you can do. Ryan Day, be the aggressive Ryan Day. Like, I want to see 2019 Clemson Ryan Day. Like, that's what I want to see. That's like, I need to see that. And, and if that happens, there's a 2020 Clemson. When's the revenge game? Uh, 20. 20, right? Justin Fields. 2020, yeah. I need to see 2020 Clemson Ryan Day. Like, that's what I want to see. So, yeah, my final thought is this. Ohio State shouldn't lose this game. They just have to do it. You spend all this time talking about it. Go out there. 60 minutes. Yeah. uh, Yeah, I'm absolutely with you. Uh, I think this is the type of game that – 
really can define Ryan Day's tenure as the head coach. This could define a lot of players' legacy at Ohio State. And it could really set Ohio State up for success on the recruiting trail. There's a lot of big names who are going to be in attendance for this game. And I don't know if whoever's attended these games, like I don't think people understand like the environment that it's going to be on Saturday. And there's not a single way Ohio State wins this game and doesn't land like four or five five stars to close out this recruiting class, period. So when you talk about it, meaningful on the field for the players, meaningful for the coaches to establish their legacies and begin building that, it's meaningful for the coaches for what they can accomplish off the field in the offseason. And it's mostly meaningful, like, once again, for the players. Like, this is such a big game for them to rebound, to get this back, to reestablish Ohio State, to get their gold pants. Like, this is such a big game. I just want people to appreciate this level of football game we're about to witness. Like, this doesn't come along. And that's something I wanted to get into. So, um I I don't think I've shared this since I've been at Land Grant Holy Land. I think I shared this when I did my independent thing. But back in like 2002, 2003, my uncle, he's had a, a troubled life. Uh, and he had he, he put his name in the Ohio State-Michigan rivalry. And I know a lot of people in that 30 to 40-year-old age group will know this story uh, because it was on game day. It was a big story. Uh, he was in court and he had his plea date. And he agreed to plead guilty on the day if he got to remain in jail instead of going to prison to watch the Ohio State-Michigan game. And the judge agreed and let him stay to watch Michigan play Ohio State in 2003. And unfortunately for him, it was the last time Jim Trestle lost a game to Michigan. Man. But to put it into perspective, the – like the reason I like that story, not because like I never knew my uncle. Yeah, I don't have a personal relationship with him in the slightest, but the meaningfulness to Ohioans and this rivalry, like what it means to the people, what they're willing to sacrifice. This dude was willing to sacrifice time in penitentiaries, man, to watch this football game. I don't like there are so many Ohio State fans that would give their life to watch another win, you know, who didn't get to see a win when their lives ended. And that is very grim and dark. But this game is so important to the people of Ohio. And honestly, the people up there as well. Like, this game means so much to so many people. And I don't know if I could really fully put it into perspective. And that's why I wanted to bring up that story. Because every person in their family has a story like that about how meaningful this game is. Their first memory with this game. And all I want is a win Saturday for all those people. That's all you want. That's all we need. It's time. Uh, We absolutely care about this rivalry more than they do. Um, And this is one more step on the road to winning a national championship, which is still out in front of us. So got to get the dub. Yep, yep. It's time to get the dub, and I don't know. It's I, I like. Are we gonna hang a hundred on them? I think so. I think it's time. You got anything else to say before we sign out? Uh, last thing I have to say, um, 
I'm tired of LeBron James playing games, tired of Nike playing games. He gifted them LeBron James special cleats. They're black and red. The fact that they're black and red makes me think we're wearing our black and red jerseys. I know some people don't like that because they feel like rivalry games should be home and home, which would also be cool, but that's not allowed, so get over it. But LeBron, it's time. I respect the HBCU tour. I respect that, but it is time to make Ohio State the first major LeBron James school. Put it on the uniform. Stop playing with our emotions. These cleats are fire. And we're going to have King James on the feet as we defeat Michigan. Yeah, that's awesome. That was incredible. Uh, To be honest, they should just put the LeBron James logo on all the alternates. What like just whatever it is, Nike, get over it. Like you let Michigan yeah, have, you let Jordan have Michigan. They're of the same level of brand. LeBron, it's time. Make Ohio State a LeBron yeah. cool. Let's get into it. I mean, it's gonna be a great one. It's gonna be. I I I can't keep talking. It's time to go fucking kill those guys. Honestly. Yep. That's it for me. I'm out. I'm not even gonna give you guys my Twitter handle. You guys know where to find me. Uh, yep. Go Bucks.